opening to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Galatians, chapter 3, as we continue our series of messages from Galatians. This morning we will consider verses 1 through 11, Galatians, chapter 3. You have a Bible from the church. If it's large print, it's page 1236. Regular size print, it's page 972. Galatians 3, reading verses 1 through 11. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? if indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Let's start the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word and and the incredible wisdom it took that you decided that we should be lived, that we should be saved through faith in Jesus Christ and not by our own works. And We just give thanks for that and just ask that you'd bless us through the preaching of the word. Now bless Pastor Bob as he brings that to us that our faith may be strengthened through that preaching of your word. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Three things from this passage as we seek to outline it, to make our way through it. One, the questions of Paul. That's what begins the chapter, the section we're on. He asked several questions, and so we'll look at those. Secondly, the testimony of Scripture. Paul brings up uh, quotes from three separate passages uh, in order to make his point. And then thirdly, the living in faith. What exactly does it mean when we read, the righteous shall live by faith? So the questions of Paul, the testimony of Scripture, and the living in faith. The first question that Paul asks, in regards to who has bewitched you, we would term a rhetorical question. Paul knows very well who's behind this. Sometimes that's the way in which questions are asked. It's not asked because you don't know the answer. You do know the answer, but you're getting the other person to think. 
such as when God questions Job. It's not that God has unavailable knowledge and he has to ask Job, well, who made you, Job? Uh, who, who made the Leviathan, Job? I, I don't know. He's not asking because he doesn't know. God very obviously knows the answer to that question. Even here, we have that rhetorical question of Paul. Some of you as parents sometimes do that with your children. Some of you wives do that with your husbands. Who tracked this mud into the house? Well, they know very well who did it. They see the size of the footprints. They see the shoe. They see the muddy shoe. They know who the shoe belonged to. It's not that they don't know. It's that they're getting you to confess to that which you have done. Who has bewitched you? is Paul's question. He knows that it's the false teachers. He knows that it's those who have come into these churches of Galatia after he has left and have begun preaching their gospel of works, have begun preaching the fact that faith in Christ must be supplemented with works of the law in order to be saved, that it has to be Christ plus, and the plus has to deal with these Old Testament laws. That Torah, that unless you keep the Torah, unless you keep the interpretations of the rabbis, unless you keep the customs that are associated with the interpretations of the law of the rabbi, you cannot be saved. Paul says, how have they done this? They've bewitched you. It's an interesting term. It's not used in scripture very often. But it certainly is a reminder to us of the garden, isn't it? You, you can hear this, this coming out as, as God coming to Adam and Eve in the garden. Who told you you were naked? God knows. Who told you? Where'd that come from? And even as we have in the garden the source of it being the one who is the deceiver, the one who is the father of lies, even Satan himself, so too here. Of course this is Satan at work. Of course Satan loves nothing better than to take us away from the truth of the gospel, that we're justified by faith alone. He wants us to think, oh no, 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 there's got to be something else. For as soon as we add anything, add anything, we rob Christ of all that he has done. It's not that we're acknowledging Christ and then adding something to it. No, by that which we add to it, by any condition, any requirement, we would add to salvation apart from faith in Jesus Christ, we take Christ away. For Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And if we say, well, that, you didn't quite have it right, Jesus. There is something else. There is more to the path than what you're telling us. Then we've made Christ out to be a liar, and he is no longer the savior of our souls. For his sacrifice is not righteous in the sight of God. So there is the rhetorical question. Secondly, there are experiential questions. Paul, Paul is saying, okay, let, let's go back. Remember when I was there? I, I was there amongst you. I came. I preached. I preached the gospel that I'm now defending. 
in this letter that I'm writing to you. A, a, a salvation by faith alone. That you are justified, Galatians, only by faith in Jesus Christ. Now tell me, from your experience, what did you get when you followed the law? What blessings came from that? What evidence of the Spirit in your heart and in your life came from that? We could ask it this way. Did you have joy? Did you have peace? Did you have patience? Did you have goodness? Did you have kindness? Is that what you got from the law? Now, Paul well knows the answer to that as well. No, the law only brought them bondage. They're looking to the gospel for relief. They hear the gospel. They hear the message. They believe. They have faith. And what happens? The Spirit explodes in Galatia. It is not when they observed the law. There was no work of the Spirit in their hearts, in their lives, or in the church. It's when the gospel was preached. That's when the Spirit's work became evident. And they know it in their own hearts. That's what Paul is appealing to. To their own experience of walking with the Spirit. Of keeping in step with the Spirit. And of all the blessings that flow to us from the work of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. The law can only bring bondage. I suppose there are exceptions. You know, when you think about this outside of the context of, of the Judaism and these Judaizers that Paul is dealing with there in Galatia, and you, and you look out into other religions, you don't find many happy people. You don't find many joyful people. You find a lot of people who are discouraged. A lot of people who have no hope. A lot of people who have no assurance. Now, maybe you've met them, but at least that which is portrayed to us, you don't see a lot of happy Muslims. Why? Because it's a religion of law. And you know you can never obey the law fully. See, that's what Paul is bringing them back to. What's your experience? Why are you now leaving the gospel to go back into the bondage of what the law brings? So secondly, let's look at the testimony of Scripture that Paul now places before them. Remember, all of this is, is a defense. He, Paul is defending. This is an apologetic. Paul is, is seeking to establish in the minds of these churches of Galatia the fact that that which has been taught to them by these false teachers is wrong. He goes back to his own right to be an apostle to address such things. He goes right to that consul in Jerusalem as to how they addressed it. He went back to the way in which he dealt with Peter 
as a means of showing forth the fact that Gentiles do not have to obey Jewish customs in order to be saved. Jews don't have to obey Jewish customs in order to be saved. But salvation is by grace. So he's defending. Now Paul brings out three scripture passages. Or maybe we'd say three characters. One, he appeals to Abraham. Why? Well, because one of the things the false teachers are doing, are saying to the people there in Galatia in Paul's absence, oh, by the way, the law and the prophets, they stand behind us. The law and the prophets, they agree with us. The law and the prophets, and of course Abraham, of course Abraham, our forefather in the faith, of course that whole business of circumcision, that's why we're Jews, of course that's, that's pivotal to our salvation. It's a necessity for our salvation. So Paul says, okay, let's take their, let's take their argument. Let's take Abraham. You want to talk about Abraham, false teachers? Let's talk about Abraham. What does God say about Abraham? Paul points out two things. He says, first of all, let's consider the fact that before the act of circumcision occurs, which is Genesis chapter 17, in Genesis chapter 12 already, the gospel is being proclaimed. The very gospel, you see, that Paul is saying, I'm proclaiming to you. The gospel that all nations of the world shall be blessed through Abraham. Paul says, and we believe this is through the Spirit, that the Spirit then is saying that line, those words, that all nations of the world shall be blessed through Abram, is the proclamation of the gospel. Just as we believe. That when we go back to the garden and God says there in Genesis 3.15, you know, that that there's going to be one who comes, who, who destroys, crushes Satan. Yeah, that's the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. To believe, to have faith in the message of the gospel. Abraham believed God. See, go back to that. See, Paul is quoting here. So he's going back to their Torah. He's going back to the Old Testament scriptures. He's going back to Genesis. I believe that this one is Genesis 15, 6, if you want to turn back to it. This is what Paul is alluding to here. This is what Paul is referencing. He believed the Lord, and he counted it. He there is the Lord, pronoun to the last proper noun. He believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abram, as righteousness. So what is it that God counted as righteousness to Abram? He believed. What is that? Faith. What's the whole argument of Paul and Galatians? We're justified by faith. We're righteous by faith. We are declared by God to be pardoned of all of our sin. We're we're declared by God to be free from all of the guilt of our sin. We are declared by God to be free from the condemnation of our sin by faith. 
which is God's act of grace because the faith is God's gift. These false teachers are saying, oh, no, 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 you see, Abraham, he's the child of God. He's, he's, he's saved because of circumcision. Paul's argument is circumcision. Genesis 15, 6 occurs before Genesis 17. In fact, Genesis 15, 6 occurs before the sacrifices. Hmm. Before sacrifices, it was counted to him as righteousness. Why? Because he sacrificed? No, he hadn't sacrificed yet. Because he circumcised his children? No, he hadn't done that yet. God hadn't even told him that yet. So before God has even offered the sacrifice, before God has displayed and commanded Abraham to be involved in circumcision, Abraham is already righteous. Judaizers were saying, no, you can't be saved until you follow the Old Testament law. Paul says, how can that be? Abraham was declared righteous before that. Well, you certainly have to be circumcised in order to be saved. How can that be? Abraham was declared righteous in the sight of God. Did God make a mistake? Well, no, God can't make... Oh. See, he's using scripture. He's using the very example that they're touting to say salvation by works. Paul is saying, no, you're wrong. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, I remind you of the fact, this is where our dear brother in the Lord is in his devotions in October of 1517. This is what he's wrestling with. Martin Luther is coming to this and he's going, this isn't what I was taught. This isn't what I was raised with. But God's word is truth. It is God's word that declares to me that I'm justified by faith and the burden and the weight is lifted. For Luther believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, my friends, it's not just Abraham's name who can go in here. It's you and I. We believe faith. And it was counted to us as righteousness. How oh, the amazing grace of God. The second is found in Galatians 3.10. Here's his second quote. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and to do them. Deuteronomy 27, 26. This is what's taking place. Israel is gathered, some on Mount Ebal, some on Mount Gerizim. The some have uttered the curses of God against all those who, who failed to live according to God's law. On the other hand, the blessings have been chanted from all from the side who is saying all that will happen if they follow God. The summary, the end of that is this. God speaks and he says, curse be everyone who does not do what's written in the book of the law. Now just stop and think about that. 
It's not, cursed be everyone who commits a million of these sins. It's not, cursed be everyone who commits a hundred thousand of these, or a thousand, or a hundred, or ten. It's anyone. You break one commandment, you have broken them all. New Testament tells us that. You've broken them all. Paul's argument is this. Scripture itself is saying you can't be saved by the law because you can't keep the law. And if you attempt to keep the law, you're only going to find out you're a lawbreaker, which puts you not under righteousness, it puts you not under blessing, but it puts you under curse. It puts you under damnation. It puts you under judgment. It puts you under condemnation. You can't be saved by works of the law because all the law can do is bring death. Romans 8. That's all it can do. The law can never bring life. The law can never bring salvation. We can never be saved by our futile attempts to keep the law of God. Now you see, these false teachers had been using this. The law is the means. Well, you see, it's the law. We have to follow the law. This is the means by which we shall be saved. And Paul's like, don't you read it? It says you can't be saved by it. The very law itself that you say brings salvation says you can't have salvation by it, only the judgment of the curse of God. Third reference, verse 11. Now it is evident. See, Paul's conclusion then is, now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Obvious, right? No work can be added to faith in our understanding of salvation. No work. Soon as we add a work, we've subtracted Christ. It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. What an interesting statement. Where did Paul get that from? Well, Paul probably dreamed that up, right? Yeah, that's Old Testament. Where did that come from? Oh, remember what the false teachers are relying on, the law and the prophets? This happens to be from one of the prophets. Happens to be the prophet Habakkuk, who is in his book struggling with looking out at the world going, God, I don't get it. There's a lot of sinful people, and you don't seem to be dealing with their sin. God comes to Habakkuk in a vision and says, oh, yes, I will. I'm bringing the Chaldeans, and they're going to come in judgment. Habakkuk stops and thinks, well, wait a minute. The Chaldeans are worse sinners than we are. God comes again and says, answers his complaint and says, I'm going to deal with them too. But know this. The righteous live by faith. What follows is a revelation of God's mercy and grace and holiness. Righteous live by faith. In the midst of life, in the midst of this painful 
struggle we have with sin out there in the world. Sin within the confines of church. Sin within our own hearts. How do we live? Do we live according to the principles of the law? To find some relief? No. Righteous. Live by faith. Let's spend our last few moments together this morning thinking about that idea of living in faith. The righteous are to live by faith alone. This is Luther's comment upon this passage. He says, in their confessions, the monks make no mention of faith or the merit of Christ, but they teach and set forth the satisfaction and merits of men, as it may be plainly appear in the form of absolution which the monks used amongst themselves. As such, as would be counted more devout than others, which I think well to set down, that our children may see how great and horrible the kingdom of the Pope is. Here is the form of the monk's absolution. This is what they would say to one another. God forgive thee, my brother, the merit of the passion of our Lord Jesus and of the blessed Saint Mary, always a virgin, and of all the saints, the merit of thine order the straightness of thy religion, the humility of thy confession, the contriteness of thy heart, the good works which thou hast done and shall do for the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, be unto thee available for the remission of thy sins, the increase of grace and the rewarding of everlasting life. Oh, you hear the merit of Christ mentioned in these words, but if you weigh them all, you will perceive that Christ is there altogether unprofitable. And that the glory and name of a justifier is quite taken away from him and given to monkish merits. Is not this to take the name of God in vain? Is not this to confess Christ in words and in very deed to deny his power? I myself also was once entangled in this error. I thought Christ to be a judge although I confessed with my mouth that he suffered and died for man's redemption and ought to be pacified by the observation of my rule and order. Therefore, when I prayed or said mass, I used to add this in the end. O Lord Jesus, I come to thee and I pray thee that these burdens and this straightness of my rule and religion may be a full recompense for all of my sins. Lord, look at what I've done. May that bring me full salvation what did Christ do then the righteous shall live by faith alone that and that only is that which justifies the righteous will live by faith never Never letting works creep back in. No, Satan loves to lure us, brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, how he wants to take us back. 
How many do you not run into who might say, Oh, but I do this and this and this. Certainly God will forgive me then. Oh, but I do this and this and this. Certainly God will forgive me. Or God ought to accept that which I do. While I certainly have a loving and compassionate heart, certainly God is going to overlook all of my sins because of my loving and compassionate heart. But the truth be known, my friends, how many of us, not out there in the world, but how many of us here do the same thing? We allow Satan to get into our minds and into our hearts and into our theology to rob us of Christ. Of Christ alone. I am justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone the glory of God alone. Lord, drive from our hearts the lure and temptation of Satan to add anything unto Christ. But did you see the righteous live by that faith? Meaning, everything that comes now comes from faith. It's not faith here and then works here. It's not faith here and peace here. It's not faith plus now, oh, now I do these things. It is never apart from faith. And here I'm going to list for you five things. Five things that are always by faith. Always by faith. They are not my list of five. They are William Hendrickson's list. Five. First, always by faith. My peace with God. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. Wow. Because I'm justified by faith, my peace, my peace with God. The wall of sin has been forever broken down. And the relationship between the Lord God and myself, between the Lord God and you, is one of peace. Do we earn that peace? Did we do something to deserve that peace? Did we work hard to get to that peace? No. That peace, you see, is faith. It all springs out of faith. My fellowship with God. John 17, verse 3. The fellowship that I, I pray, Father, for these, that they might know you. To have fellowship with you. To be akin with you. To be a friend of yours. I don't earn, I don't deserve that because of certain things I do. Certain rituals I go to. How many times in a year I attended church or didn't attend church. I don't earn it. How much money I put in the offering plate. The relationship we have with God is by faith. Which comes to us as a gift. My joy, unspeakable. 
Peter writing, 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me read these words to you. 1 Peter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. See, what is that? You have not seen him, but you love him. That's faith. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Where does the joy of the Christian life come from? From good works done? From following the law? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Our joy comes not from that which we do. The joy that we have is this. All my sin is gone because of Christ. And I stand before God righteous because of Christ. And my heart is filled with joy because of Christ. And I have peace because of Christ. I have fellowship with God because of Christ. Second Corinthians 3.18 I am being transformed to the image of Christ. Not through the little efforts that I do. Not through... My faithful obedience to a Lord's day, or not because I can memorize eight passages of Scripture. Being transformed into the image of Christ by faith. Faith. Even my being a blessing to others. Here we might say, even my good works, as few, seldom as they may be, are wrought by faith. They come out of faith. For the righteous live by faith. The righteous do what they do by faith. The righteous act the way they do by faith. The righteous seek to bring honor and glory to God by faith, never to add to their salvation. But it always springs out of a faith. Faith alone that justifies the sinner. Faith alone out of God's sheer grace I referenced that section from the book of Habakkuk. Let me read that section to you. It comes at the end of the book. And it's these words that are found in Habakkuk's prayer. It is these words of comfort, it is these words of blessing that free the sinful soul. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. 
the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread upon high places. I take joy in the God of my salvation. On October 31, 1517, the Lord graciously allowed the stalls and the vineyards and the olives to begin to produce again. And you and I are the glorious beneficiaries of that great reformation wrought by the Lord. But the purpose of that reformation was our heart. Our heart. He had you and me in mind. Oh, Luther didn't, but the Lord did. I want to work my work of faith in their heart. Father, we do thank you for the grace that you have given to us in giving to us faith. Faith to believe that yes, we are sinners, but saved, saved sinners through the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and reign of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that we stand before you justified and clothed in His righteousness. How great must be your love for us. And all God's people say, Amen.